Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, and welcome to Let's Talk TV Live, sponsored by Wireless One, where they make great apps at a really affordable cost for small businesses, artists, writers, not uh-oh, I've got an echo. Whoa, that's weird. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why I have an echo. Um, did you know that your business can now have its own mobile app being accessible everywhere? It could take you to new heights of audience interaction. That will improve your sales, service, and your customers' overall experience with your business. If your business isn't yet mobile-friendly, then you're missing out on a big opportunity. And I know because I just got my first app. I'm really excited. Thankfully, Wireless One Marketing Group is here to help. Wireless One can make you a beautiful mobile app or mobile website optimized for your business's need using state-of-the-art technology that will establish you in the app stores and in the mobile web quickly. And believe me, it's quick. It's like a week. Um, and easily so you can get ahead of your competitors in no time. Wireless One Marketing will build you a powerful app that will help your business or organization shine on the mobile device of your customers choosing. Rely on their expertise to handle everything from start to finish affordably and professionally. Call Wireless One Marketing Group today at 847-637-2514 for a free demo. That number again is 847 847- 637-2514 or visit their website at www.app2020.com That's www.app2020.com And if you want to become a sponsor of Let's Talk TV let me know and we will figure something out. Um, our guest tonight is blogger Jerry Weaver. Hi Jerry. Hello. Um, before we get started I really want to Take a moment to um, to to express my sadness at events in Sandy Hook. I know Jerry, you're Canadian, and uh, you don't have those kinds of things up there because you don't have uh, your good gun control. Um, not to get too political about it, um, but I just wanted to express my sadness and and know that you know my thoughts are with the people um, in Newton. Connecticut and uh, in Sandy Hook especially. So um, just such a tragedy. Um, It's just not even any words to say. Hopefully nothing like this will ever happen again. Um, But tonight on our show, Jerry and I are going to endeavor to talk a little philosophy um, or religion, if you will, in the context of our favorite TV shows. But first I have a few announcements. December 24th and January 30, sorry, January 3rd, the show is going to air on Wednesday nights, that, those weeks, um, being as December 24th is Christmas Eve and Monday, December 31st is New Year's Eve. So um, I've bumped the show to Wednesday on those two weeks. And as some of you know, I've been doing some writing about Stargate Universe, which you'll hear more about during the show. Um, And that show aired on Sci-Fi from 2009 to 2011, and I have been raving about it for about a year now. Um, It it only had 40 episodes, but it really rose to one of my favorite sci-fi shows ever for its intelligence and dark, gritty realism within the sci-fi universe. And it stars the great Robert Carlyle, who also stars as Rumpelstiltskin on Once Upon a Time. Anyway, I will be joined for both of those shows by one of the executive producer writers for the entire Stargate franchise, Joseph Malozzi, one of really the longtime creative minds, and he will be here to discuss Stargate Universe and whatever else pops into the conversation. I've had a couple of email exchanges with Joe, and um, it, it's, it's going to be a fun two episodes. Um, but primarily we'll be talking about SGU. On the 26th, we'll be talking about Season 1, And on January 2nd, sorry, I said January 3rd before, and I meant January 2nd, 2013, we will talk about Season 2. Right now, GateWorld, the mega fan site, is hosting a Stargate Universe rewatch, so the timing seemed kind of perfect as that draws to a close. Then in January, on January 21st, as it is scheduled now, I'm going to have on Gareth Hughes, who is the proprietor of the big... Once Upon a Time UK 
fan site, and uh, we've scheduled that now, I think, yes, for January 21st. And then also, mid-January, we're going to be launching our HouseMD Rewatch right here on Let's Talk TV Live. Jerry, did you know I was going to be doing a HouseMD Rewatch? I think you did email me that. I did. I think I did. And we will be joined in one of those first episodes by the lovely Bobbin Bergstrom, who played a nurse on house, but more importantly, served as the on-site medical advisor to the show. And she kindly has agreed to come on the show. Um, And she actually told me it was interesting when I was talking to her. um, She said, you know, the crew are suffering withdrawal just like the fans are. I believe it. I believe it, too. It's a long time the show is on the air. And so there are also other surprises I'm working on, especially with regard to some Once Upon a Time guests. So stay tuned for that. We have gone way past 10,000 listeners since we first began this venture, not quite 10 weeks ago. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Just a reminder, if you want to call in or say hi or ask a question or join in the discussion with Jerry and me, the number is 718-305-6982 or feel free to Skype in as well. The chat room is open. There's a guest or two in there right now. So please guest Sign in, tell us who you are, or call in, and uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll bring you on the air with us. Um, our guest tonight is Jerry Weaver. As I said, she is a supernatural blog. Well, she's not actually. You're not supernatural. You're you blog supernatural. I shouldn't say you're a supernatural blogger. Um, and we're going to do a riff on what I call primetime divine. So, how are you doing tonight, Jerry? I'm doing very well. I have a cup of tea. I'm relaxing. Looking forward to the discussion. Great. I have a big glass of water, which I've just taken a sip of. And um, are you getting all ready for Christmas? Is there snow up there? Where are you in Canada? I always forget. I am up in Ottawa, and we have not had a lot of snow to date, but now we're in the midst of having freezing rain and ice pellets. So it's a good night to be tucked up inside. That's really wild. We haven't had snow in Chicago since March 4th. Good gracious. So well, we've had a little bit, but nothing that's stayed. We have had nothing, zap, zero. It has been too warm. It has been in the 40s and 50s. Um, really haven't gotten, we haven't had one day that was below freezing so far, which is very bizarre. Anyway, so um, great. And you're preparing for, all preparing for Christmas? I am. I have to be prepared to fly away on Saturday. So it's kind of D-Day this week. Okay. <laughs> I'm very busy. For a change, we are staying home this winter break and going to just sort of chill. So tonight, we're going to take a look at a few shows. Religion is everywhere on primetime. I taught a class a few years ago on um, Jewish values and the Simpsons, (laughs) believe it or not. Um, And, you know, even the Simpsons has its religious bent. You can find, I suppose if you look for it, you can find religion in pretty much any TV show. Would you agree with that? I do, because I think it's a lot of what people's values is based on or um, when they go through periods of guilt. I mean, it's very difficult not to get into a sense of what you think is right and wrong. It is, and some of those values, you know, kind of overarching values aren't, you know, religion per se, but they touch on religious values, you know, values I think that we all hope religion brings to us, although religion doesn't always live up to the values it espouses. Um, But I wanted to talk about some specific series that uh, I know you watch, that I watch, that we both watch. Um, So we're going to kind of give a go at it. Um, We're going to talk about Supernatural. We're going to talk a little bit about the X-Files. We're going to talk about Eli Stone, Stargate Universe, maybe touch on Battlestar Galactica, and House MD, which is the most ironic of religious-themed shows because the central character is a self-described atheist. Um, Sometimes I think he protesteth too much, but we'll talk about that later. Oh, speaking of House. My book, Chasing Zebras, has now gotten 50 likes on Amazon.com. Yay! And it is selling well, so it's a great Christmas present, guys. And it's available at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and pretty much everywhere else. And it's in ebook form in 
every single possible ebook form that an, a book can come in. And um, so stay tuned over the next few weeks, too, because I might have a special announcement about the book, So, but I can't say more about it. I'm going to be coy. So let's get dive in. Um, I, do you, I want to ta- start with, and I wasn't actually going to talk about this show at all, but I know a lot of my listeners watch it. Um, and I wanted to just touch on it. I'm, I'm not sure what I think about it as far as philosophy and religion, but I wanted, I know that a lot of my listeners watch Once Upon a Time. I can't remember, Jerry, are you, do you watch Once Upon a Time? I've watched a bit of it, but I'm not up to date on it. Okay. Um, there's some imagery in there that I think is really interesting. Um, you know, any show that magic is really the central character of the show, magic and fairy tales, um, there's a lot of pagan religion in it. You know, the, the forest is a very important metaphor in that show. Um, and there are a lot of themes like good versus evil, powerless, the powerless against the powerful, love and loss and redemption. Redemption is a huge theme, especially this season where you have two characters uh, who are central to the story, who are not the good guys, who are in sort of a redemptive arc this season. Um, and then you have Emma, who is, quote unquote, the savior. I mean, how can you not draw that conclusion when they actually use the term, she's the savior, she's going she's gonna to be the one to break the curse and bring um, norm, normalcy, ha, normalcy such as it is, to fairy tale characters back. Um, so there's a there's definitely a, a, a few little Judeo Christian pieces in it, but because it's fairy tales and there are trolls and there are fairy godmothers and um, all of all of those things that belong more to Celtic and North, Norse mythology than to Judeo Christian teaching, um, it's kind of a I was kind of not going to want to go there so much so. Um, I am uh, going to kind of stay away from it, but I did want to give it a mention anyway. Um, and, you know, it's, of course, historically, magic has been used to explain the unexplainable. You know, if it's not explainable, what is it? Magic or God? Miracle or magic? So, you know, I'm sure you could find a guiding theology somewhere in it, but that's all I'm going to say about it. We'll We'll maybe touch on it on a special Once Upon a Time episode. Um, but I wanted to go to some other things. So let's start with Supernatural. I know, Jerry, you've been writing about Supernatural on Blog Critics for a while. I have. And um, tell us, first kind of give us a thumbnail sketch of the show for people who don't watch it. Okay, uh, thumbnail sketch. It's actually in its eighth season, so it's had a few arcs over the years. But from seasons one to five, which is actually where I'm going to concentrate tonight on, um, we have two brothers who um, have very different ways of looking at the world, but they've been brought up as hunters of the supernatural by their father. And there is a revenge theme that starts to show where their mother was killed in mysterious circumstances by something supernatural, and they're trying to figure out what it is. As the show goes on and they learn more and more about what happened to their mother, um, they eventually realize that it's much bigger than they had originally thought. And we do actually, in the fourth season, begin to have a whole Judeo-Christian arc that happens as the boys get down to tax about what they're actually supposed to be doing in the big picture. And in the big yes. picture, they're actually vessels for Lucifer and Michael, and they're trying to stop the apocalypse. Uh, you know, that's actually it's funny that you should say that, because um, I started watching at season four, um, um, sort of, six episodes into season four. Um, And that's what kind of struck me was you have this uh, angel, Castiel, who's kind of becoming my favorite character, I have to confess. Mm -hmm. Um, He's, you know, he's so brooding. Um, And, but, but he basically raises Dean right out of the grave. He says, I raised you from perdition. (laughs) Yeah. I raised you from perdition. Yeah, yeah. So he's right, and for a purpose, you know, it wasn't his time, and he's got a purpose now. Right. So, 
my first one, my first um, episode that I was going to talk about actually is the first time that we learned that Dean has a purpose. Okay. So it's the Go first ahead. hint. So um, in the first, when we first meet the boys, they're really doing more to do with um, the mythology of urban myths. And so they're going after things like the Hookman and the Scarecrow. And it's certainly eventually then they get into fairy tale and myth and, and get into a lot of pagan gods. When we get into season four, or sorry, into season two, um, we, we have the first hint that they're going to expand the show and the whole concept's going to get a lot bigger. And it happens in Faith, which is about a faith healer. And um, what's happened to set the scene is that Dean has actually um, been very severely injured during one of their hunts. He's going to die because his heart has been injured. And Sam won't accept that. So he was looking for a faith healer because Sam is open to faith much more than Dean is. Um, so basically, well, I think one of the things that really runs through that first five seasons is you're looking at the basis of faith, and you're also looking at how difficult it is to interpret God's will because everybody filters it through their own needs and desires. So in this faith healer, um, Dean is actually called up, and to his surprise, because he doesn't believe, he is healed. So this faith healer does indeed seem to be the real thing. But as Dean is healed, he has this really cold and, and a feeling that it just simply was not right. So he won't let it lie. And Sam is quite willing to let it lie because he'd rather just have his faith. But Dean can't do that. And so as they poke him, they realize actually, in fact, the river does not have uh, any divine intervention going on. What's happened is a reaper has been bound and is actually exchanging lives. So it's really not coming from God what's going on. It's actually somebody who's interfered through magic in order to bind a reaper. Mm-hmm. So they have this problem because Dean has been healed and feels guilty about it, but he becomes friends with a woman who needs to be healed because she has cancer and she's lovely. And if Dean stops the faith healer, she won't be healed. And so he has this feeling, does he have any more right than the reverend to decide who gets to live and who gets to die? Does he? Can he take that on himself, that he's going to actually stop her from being able to be healed? It's a... It's a it's an interesting problem for him to have because he knows that what's going on is not right. Hmm. Okay. So then as he's investigating, he, he, he asked the reverend why he chose him that day because he was his first time at the congregation. The woman who was a cancer has been there for two months. And he says he looked into Dean's heart and he saw a young man with a serious purpose, which was not done. And that's why he picked him. Um, and at this point, Dean doesn't really know what he thinks about the reverend, he's fairly sure that what's going on is not faith healing. What he ends up finding out is that the reverend actually is not the person who bound the reaper, it was his wife, because the reverend had cancer and she, through grief, had decided she wouldn't accept it, found a book where she could bind the reaper and decided, you know, it saved your husband. Hmm. And she then decided, since she had the reaper bound, she would do God's will and she would kill people that she thought were evil which naturally gets into the question of, and so who decides who's evil? And the people she's deciding who are evil are people like people who are homosexual. Hmm. So then we get, it sort of broadens out into thinking, so how do you know what God's will is? So clearly the wife is not doing God's will within the context of the story. That's not really up for discussion. But Mm -hmm. you do wonder, the reverend was actually innocent of of any of the binding. He did not know what was going on. So when he chose Dean, was he doing God's will? Hmm. So in the end, yeah. In the end, we had a little conversation with Layla, who is the woman with the cancer, and Dean is still feeling absolutely terrible about the fact that because he stopped the reaping, she then didn't get to be healed. And she tells him that's okay because she thinks that believing, you don't only believe when miracles happen, you also believe when they don't. And so then Dean says, well, he's never been the type of prey, which is very true in this show, but he will pray for her. And she tells him, well, then there's a miracle. Hmm. I have a question. So the show really didn't get into this sort of Judeo-Christian mold until season four, yeah? It didn't go completely into it. Like at this point, we have not been introduced to angels. Okay. Well, the, the, the faith is really the first one where they give a hint that they may end up going that way. Okay. Okay. Um, what do you think is put? Do you, do you know? Do you think have any ideas as to why they've kind of pushed in that direction? Just I think thought? because 
There was always the intention, I think, to have a redemptive arc for Sam. So I think that Eric Christie actually did have a, a really good vision about where he was going to go. I don't think he knew how he was going to get there, but he kind of had major milestones along the way. And so I think that he knew that he wanted to have the brother against brother and one to be the redemptive arc. And I think once you're there, it's not a very big jump to decide that you're going to go into um, angels and demons because what he did is he, he then sort of cast heaven as being a, um, a family that has, has the same kind of dysfunction that Sam and Dean do. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And I think it just, it just kind of fit because they're already in supernatural territory, so they're already dealing with a lot of the mythology of the world. And I think that it, it, it just made sense, I think, to have Sam and Dean end up being these two warriors for opposing sides. Huh. Interesting. So, what? Any other episodes you want to focus on in Supernatural? Or? Um, I guess the next one I would probably do um, is Swan Song. I mean, this is like a huge jump. So now this is like the finale of season five. Okay. Okay. So in Swan Song, of course, at this point, we have definitely got heaven and hell involved because what Sam and Dean are is they're going to be vessels for the apocalypse, and Sam is going to be Lucifer's vessel, and Dean will be Michael's vessel. And the boys are trying not to um, take their roles. They want to have free will, and they want to stop the apocalypse. So they're actually fighting heaven and hell, because heaven at this point has co-opted God's will because God has not been uh, seen in heaven for a very long time. So the angels have decided that they're going to interpret things the way that they want to, or at least some of the angels are. So they've co-opted God's will at this point, and they've decided they're going to bring about the apocalypse. Hmm. And so Swan Song is what happens when uh, Sam decides that he needs his, to have his redemptive arc and that he is willing to sacrifice himself to do it. And Dean has to decide that his whole life he said that he's going to save Sam and he's always been the person who looks after Sam. What he really has to do is let go of Sam and actually help him sacrifice himself. But in doing that, they actually are doing it through free will. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. So, so sorry? So, okay. No, um, I'd like to go on to uh, another show. You betcha. Okay. So, so Supernatural starts out as a sort of, you know, urban myth, urban legend. These guys are hunters. They're looking for the, the – in a similar fashion, I guess, but not exactly, um, to the X Files, in its own way. Um, but I don't, I don't want to quite get to the X Files yet. I want to talk about. I, I happened to, and I had not seen it when it was. I have this habit, right, with Stark Universe, and then with this show as well. I'd never heard of it. Um, it was on for two seasons, two like thirteen episode seasons. Um, but when I was speaking with Rob Doherty, who is the showrunner, executive producer of Elementary, he mentioned Eli Stone to me because the star of Elementary, who is Johnny Lee Miller, um, he he had said that he was quite impressed with, with Johnny Lee Miller doing that the series called Eli Stone. So I thought, oh, okay, I really like Johnny Lee Miller in Elementary, and I've liked him in other stuff, so I'm going to check out Eli Stone. Had no idea what the show was about. I still don't, so tell me. Okay, so I'm going to tell you. So this guy, he's a very high-powered San Francisco attorney, corporate attorney. He's a big private law firm, gigantic, money-grubbing, ambitious lawyer. And he he's, he's engaged to this beautiful lawyer person. And... He is visited by a vision of George Michael in his living room. He begins to have these hallucinations, auditory and visual hallucinations. What are these hallucinations caused by? They're caused by a brain aneurysm. But at the same time, they are messages from God, or so he is told. They're prophetic visions because the things that he's seeing in his visions connect with cases he's working on. And he kind of changes from wanting to do the kind of law that is like super ambitious, 
just putting money in the pockets of the corporations of the world. And he wants to start doing things for people who really need a lawyer. And it actually has some nice, very lovely, unexpected terms in it. Uh, the wonderful Victor Garber, great Canadian actor, um, Tony Award-winning actor, um, is also star also stars in the show. Um, and it's a, it's a really nice show. It's a little syrupy for me sometimes, but it's um, it's really it's about what? it's a little syrupy. Oh, syrupy. Okay. Syrupy for me. Um, it's you know I like t- things that are sort of darker usually. Um, but it's certainly an enjoyable show, and it's very much, you know, God. They're not afraid to talk about God, and, you know, he's working for God. He's working for the big guy, um, and, you know, he gets into trouble, and, you know, he, he runs into a lot of trouble because people think he's just nuts, and uh, then at the end of season one, he predicts an earthquake that actually happens, and it, it, it gets a little bit beyond believability, even though that's pretty an unbelievable show to begin with, but they really are very overtly um, talking about, you know, doing good for God, you know, helping the poor, helping the victims, um, and using your smarts and using your skills to do good works. Um, so I thought it was kind of, kind of an interesting, um, an interesting take on religion is very overt. I never watched Joan of Arcadia. I never watched, um, uh, what was the show, uh, Touched by an Angel. I, n- I never watched those shows. I'm always so, a little bit afraid of the therapy factor. Yeah, yeah, um, the one with Michael Landon, too. I mean, there have been shows like that from time to time, um, but it's, it's a clever show, and that's what kind of got me thinking about doing this special, anyway, on uh, religion on prime time. Um, you know, I don't know what it is about our times right now that make us maybe more, uh, maybe slightly less cynical and wanting to sort of believe, you know, like Fox Mulder would say, I want to believe, um, and, and maybe making us gravitate more towards supernatural shows and magic and fairy tales and religion and stuff like that. I don't know, maybe a, just a thought I had. Um, but I also wanted to talk about, um, Stargate Universe, which of course I have to get SGU in there because people watch the show. Um, I really want the second season to come out on Blu-ray. The first season's out on Blu-ray. The second season never came out on Blu-ray. Um, so I really wanted to come out. So everybody watch, demand a Blu-ray for season two. Um, but I wanted to talk about that show it's, it's it's a in a nutshell the series is about a group of scientists and military people and civilians who are trapped on an ancient with a capital a spaceship it's a million years old the ancients in stargate mythology were a super hyper civilized highly technically savvy civilization that was a million years ago, and they all ascended. They found a way to turn consciousness into energy and no longer needed their bodies. But in the meantime, they had sent out this ship, and they traveled, by the way. Uh, they had set up these this network of stargates, which are wormholes that are connected one planet, one galaxy to the other, and uh, they're all encoded, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that I'm not going to talk about come back on the 26th, um, and we'll talk about it then. Uh, But they are trapped, and the ancients uh, left the ship with a mission, and these people are trapped aboard Destiny. The ship is called Destiny. And they don't know why they're there. They don't know what the purpose is. It's never been inhabited by this ancient civilization. It, it, It was sent out unmanned, but with all the comforts of life. It was a humanoid race, a humanoid species, I should say, a humanoid species. And um, the central conflict is between Colonel Young, who is a military guy whose only mission in the world is to get the people that are trapped on this ship home to Earth, which is impossible. And the other central character is Dr. Nicholas Rush, who is, um, I, I believe he's a theoretical astrophysicist, I could be wrong, 
Um, but he's brilliant, genius, bit Machiavellian, a lot Machiavellian. Um, the end justifies the means, which he would probably phrase as all things for the greater good. In the second season, he identifies a signal in the universe's background radiation and that has a definite structure that predates the beginning of space-time. And he realizes that the mission of destiny, the ancient's mission, was to find this signal at the ends of the universe. And it had been launched million, more than a million years ago. And here they are traveling, and they jump between galaxies, and it's, it's a really interesting idea. But what is this background radiation? And there's a great deal of argument about what it means. Is it God? Is it a signal from God? Which Rush says that's going to what this really is and the science of it is going to be co-opted by um, people who are interested in religion. He's an atheist. And um, he's very concerned about that, but he's very interested in the nature of this signal. And he doesn't know himself what it is or what it's for. And he's certainly open to believing in whatever science proves at the end. So the, the purpose of this signal um, really, to me, is one of the most interesting philosophical discussions to be had on on, uh, on sci-fi, science fiction television. Um, so there were a couple of episodes in it, one that was not connected to this signal. Um, there was an episode called Faith. And episode Faith, found the crew of the Destiny. Destiny came out of uh, faster than light speed, and it would do that if it sensed a need for the ship or the people on the ship. The ship itself was almost sentient. And it stopped. And it stopped in range of a, of a star and a planet that wasn't supposed to be there. It was a manufactured star and a manufactured planet. No one knows how it got there. It shouldn't be there. There was not. It wasn't on the star charts, and they were just there. And they go down to the planet, which they find to be perfect, perfect weather. It's like the Garden of Eden. It's just an amazing, beautiful place. And some of the crew wants to actually stay there. They don't want to come back to Destiny and be, a, you know, living from, you know, hand to mouth and uh, always being in perpetual danger and, and all this other stuff. They want to settle on this place, which they call Eden. Um, but the question becomes, who was it? that created this planet just at the moment they seemed to need it when things were really looking pretty bleak. And so the argument ensues of did some being, divine divine presence, put this planet there for them to find and to settle on or is it something by some super intelligent alien race? And this becomes an argument um, on the ship. In the second season, we we actually were revisited by these people who decided to settle on this planet, um, who are all dead, by the way, now. But they're they don't they're not they don't appear to be dead until the end of the episode. Spoiler alert! Sorry. Um, and um, they come back to Destiny, and there's still no answers. So that that's one where religion was sort of more overt than other episodes. But this whole idea of this signal, this signal in the background radiation, really that carries all the way through second season, really, to me, um, just had so much going. I wish it had lasted another season so maybe we could find out more. And I'm going to pump up my guest, um, Joe Malozzi, when he's on the, on the show with me next week um, to see if maybe, maybe, maybe there's going to be a novel that comes out to wrap it all up. I, I'm really curious from a philosophical standpoint where that discussion, where that argument goes. So um, I think that's enough about Stargate Universe because I don't want I could just go on for a while about that. And I'm not going to do that. So I want to go to um, really briefly the X-Files, and then I want to talk about House. Because House is really, to me, the most religious, unreligious show out there. So, what you want to touch on the X Files a little bit? 
you said you had looked at you'd watched rewatched Revelations recently and Beyond the Sea, which was one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, I did. I chose those ones because for me, I didn't actually follow the X-Files all the way through, but I did see several seasons of it. And those are the two that really jumped out to me where we really got a look at the tension between Scully being a scientist and Scully having religious belief. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's sort of you know a way of doing the tension between reason and the and uh, religious faith. And I think we also saw the surprising thing, which is that Mulder had limits to his faith. Yes. And, you know they have the usual positions: is Mulder is the one saying I want to believe, and Scully saying I'm sorry, I need proof. But when we touch on anything to do with religious faith, their positions really reverse, which they is do. interesting. And that was a really interesting device they used on the show. Uh, they used it quite a bit, um, and and Beyond the Sea was was actually and, and Beyond the Sea was um, a first season episode, I believe, early first season episode. It was, yeah. And and they really got and and it actually revolved around uh, Scully's father's death. It did. I think they were really trying to show that a lot of what we're open to with belief is sort of driven by what we need from that belief. So Scully has this personal connection with the. Um, Serial killer, his name is Boggs in that episode, because he says he can channel her dead father, and she's really wanting to have a message from her father because she thinks that he had one for her when he died, mm-hmm. and she really wants to know what it is. So she's right. very open, and Mulder thinks, well, that means that you actually um, are over-involved and your judgment's clouded. But he has the same kind of connection to extraterrestrial um, knowledge. Yes. And his his judgment also gets clouded. I think there that's I mean there's a they're good counterpoints to each other. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean I think Scully, you know, and it's I found it always interesting that she was a devout Catholic. Um, she wore a cross, and that cross actually becomes really a talisman uh, all the way through the series. I think it really comes into Revelations. I don't know um, if you're really familiar with the specifics of that one, Conceiving Tree. Oh, tell me. You know what? I this is the, the setup where the, um, you have the man who's hunting the stigmatics. Right, 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 right. And there have been 11 stigmatics killed. And it, as we find out by watching one of them, they were actually all fakers. They had the reasons for being fake, and some of them were, were – it wasn't all necessarily that they were trying to do wrong things. But none of them were actual stigmatics until the 12th, who was a little boy. Right, right. So this one, again, this is another one, I think, where she, we have Scully's difficulty with being a scientist and also having religious beliefs because she, she absolutely outright says just to uh, Mulder that she believes in the idea of God's hand can be witnessed and that miracles do happen. And as it turns out, Mulder has a huge amount of difficulty with that. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Um, he has a he's as far as religion goes, he is extremely cynical. Um, extremely cynical. He's cynical of religious people, um, and, but his own, you know, I want to believe is really, you know, it's reserved for the paranormal, for the supernatural, for the aliens that took he believes took his sister. And I'm not going to get into the mythology of the X Files because it's huge. <laughs> But I do think that that was because that's where his personal connection is. That's where his questions are, and so that's why he's actually open to faith in the idea of extraterrestrials. Right. Whereas with Scully, we really see that she has a very different reason for why she, when she has questions. Right, right, right. And you know, there's a there's an, a possibility of a new X Files movie. I know it keeps getting dangled. Oh really? But I interviewed Dean Hagland not long ago. Um, who's a lovely person. I, I think we had this incredibly, we almost were on the phone for an hour, um, and I've still got to publish the second half of our interview. Um, one of these days I'll put it up on, on the show as a podcast because it was a great discussion. But he said, yeah, they're sort of all on board, and they're just waiting for Chris Carter to sort of come on up with, uh, with the story. Frank Spotnitz, who just finished his run with um, a new new TV series on Cinemax called Hunted, um, is all on board. Everyone's on board, and just Chris Carter has to get off his duff and get a story going. I mean, I think the mythology got a little crazy, and it was funny because one of the things Dean said was, 
that by the time they moved back to LA and, and it, the, the show was only supposed to be on for five years. It was, it was a five year plan and, and then go on to movies and Fox had other ideas, not Fox Mulder, but Fox, the network had other ideas mm-hmm. and sort of um, said, well, ha, we have the rights to your show. You can't tell us when you're going off the air. So they kept going. And it got more and more convoluted as time went on because no one really wanted to be there, and um, which was really an interesting insight from from Dean um, that it you know yeah we were all tired of the show and so were they and it showed maybe fed on watching after the end of season six so (laughs) I didn't even the end anyway I want to get on to talk about. House. Okay. Okay. So all you houseies out there, um, house is a treasure trove of religion and philosophy and all kinds of cool stuff. And we have like 20 minutes left on the show. So um, pick an episode. Let's talk. Okay. You wanted to talk about damned if you do, damned if you don't. Or damned if you okay. do. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one that I, I picked out to, because I, I think that there's some interesting things there about House and what his position are. There's also some very interesting things about Chase, and I think that Chase was very often used in the series to talk about issues of faith, because he was the one character that faith really meant a lot to, and he was willing to talk about it. Yes, yes. Uh, there was that amazing, Undamned If You Do, but there was that amazing autopsy scene that he did. Right. I think that was one of the, the scenes that really converted a lot of people into thinking that Chase is a very interesting investment. Oh, I love Chase from probably season two on. I, I really liked him. I think he was my second favorite character on the show. So, um, but yeah, damned if you do, just really, um, it, it touched on Chase's faith, but it also shook House's faith. You know. I think it showed that he wasn't quite as set in his ways as he would like it to appear. Yes. And that the reason why he always needed to take on anything that looked like it had anything to do with faith is that um, he was hoping that there might be more and that he actually was very open to me that there might be something more. But if so, he had to want to know it. And that's kind of a difficult position to look for faith, (laughs) which I think is what the nuns were pointing out to him, is that you can't always know. And um, I don't know. Um, I know that he was railing at, at you know, House God, railing at the skies about oh, these people, you know, get out of your holes, people. Yeah. And yeah. then the other man, I think there's a, an absolutely lovely point when Augustine tells them you can't be angry with God and not believe in him at the same time. And of course, yeah, House is yeah. very often angry. <laughs> How can you be angry at God? And and actually, that is um, that's a classic paradox in faith. And when people have losses, um, and, and in my experience in dealing with people with losses, um, it's like they're angry with God. You're angry with God. You know, God doesn't exist. God doesn't exist. God doesn't exist. I'm so angry. And like, how can you be angry at a God you don't really believe exists if you didn't believe it? Cameron on the show actually had a position where she was really much more of an atheist and that she didn't really have anything that she felt she needed to rail against with religion. She was very logical about why she didn't believe in it. Right, and it just wasn't. I mean, she was a, you know, a, a Bill Maher atheist where religion just simply doesn't exist. It doesn't matter. God doesn't matter. And those are true atheists, people who believe that God simply doesn't matter, doesn't figure into the equation. Um. So, yeah, just the show just did some really interesting things. I know uh, in house, um, sorry, in uh, in fetal position, I want to talk about fetal position for just a second because there's one little bit. And, and even though it's not an overtly religious themed episode, um, House's insistence on calling the photographer's baby, you know, a fetus, this is a fetus, this is an it this isn't a person, which I happen to agree with that. Um, and that is not inconsistent with at least Jewish thought um, that, that a baby, a fetus, is not a person until it's actually born. Until the moment it's head crowns, a fetus is what's called a rodaith, a pursuer. 
of the mother. It's a, a little um, uh, parasite, basically, until it's born. Um, so, but what I thought was so interesting about that episode from a theological point of view is during House does a, a, a fetal surgery, and during the fetal surgery, he actually sees the baby's, the fetus's tiny, tiny hand, and it touches his finger, and he's caught. He's like caught like a deer in the headlights. And it's, a, it's one of my favorite moments in all of the entire series of House. Uh, it's not the best episode of the entire series by a long shot, but that moment, there's a, there's a philosophy. Uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel um, had a philosophy of radical amazement that starts with this idea of wonder and awe and then builds to a sense of God because of this wonder and awe. And I'm, I'm really being simplifying it a lot, but house is so caught in that moment and so affected by that moment. That was a, a moment of, in, in Hebrew, it's called Yira of, of um, amazement of wonder of awe of God. It's also translated as fear, but it's, it's really awe. And I just that just really struck me as such a, a profoundly spiritual moment for the show. Crazy, huh? Well, I think you're right. And I also think that they managed to avoid syrupy, which would be something that you would think, oh, dear, that scene could definitely go yes. too much into the saccharine. It's not handled well, but because of the, you know, having Hugh Laurie being the one who was going to transmit the wonder and the awe, he, it was just absolutely wonderful. It was all done by his eyes. It was just an amazing, and I think that's why I love the way religion is expressed in that series because it's never ever syrupy. It's always very much with the subtext. Um, in the episode, I want to talk about the episode "Unfaithful," which deals both with theology and philosophy as well as religious practice. Um, where you have a the that was the one with the um, disillusioned priest who had been accused of child molestation, and he had lost his faith, although he continued to be a priest. And that counterpoint against Cuddy's um, the Simchat Bat, the baby naming ceremony for her newly adopted daughter. And there's a lot of religious going back and forth and House is kind of calling her a hypocrite and all that. I wasn't as interested in that as I was in the other part of it. And that episode for me is noteworthy from a religious standpoint because the came into House's um, sight because House saw something that was an anomaly. And the reason that the, the guy came into came to House he came in through the emergency room, ended up being not part of the diagnosis. He discarded the symptom entirely. And um, he never does that because the symptom that brought him in turned out to be irrelevant. And the question the priest asks, asks him is, what is it that, that got me here? You know, how did I end up here? How did you end up saving my life when what I was brought in with wasn't even a symptom of what I have. You've saved my life. And um, House says to him, everything can be explained by a series of rational explanations. It's all coincidence. And the priest says to him, that's an awful lot of coincidence, isn't it? And then he quotes Albert Einstein. And my absolutely, absolutely favorite quote, in fact, it's my sick on some of my emails. It says that, he, Albert Einstein said that coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. And that quote has just stuck with me. And House is speechless because he's quoting, this priest is quoting Albert Einstein. Uh, me, just is a, a really interesting commentary on the nature of miracles. I think it comes up again in House versus God as well, when um, House is absolutely sure that you have to earn trust and faith has to involve proof. Mm -hmm. And he's 
he finds ways to explain everything that Boyd the face healer is able to do. He reads body language really well. Um, and then as he, as he figures out what's actually going on with the apparent face healing that he's done, and he realizes that actually Boyd has a herpes virus. He's behaving like a very typical 15-year-old boy and not like the much more mature healer that he generally presents himself to be. He's really a 15-year-old. He's had sex. He has herpes, and he passes virus on to a woman who has cancer. And it turns out that this type of virus actually will attack tumors. So there's actually a very realistic um, explanation for what has happened surrounding the faith healing, which actually you know, shook house for a little while as to what was going on. But the thing is that Chase has a little bit of a different look at it because he just points out what are the odds that he would have this particular herpes virus and that he would touch the one woman who has the particular type of cancer that this virus wouldn't attack. How much coincidence can you have before you have to give a point to God? Right, absolutely. And he was. They were. He was keeping score. Was, yeah. And it was Chase keeping it, of course, <laughs> because I think that, you know, House and Chase are still having a little conversation between the two of them, mostly unspoken, but on the subject of faith. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and it's ironic because House, you would think, is the least likely place where you would get any sense of religion or spirituality. And to me, I, in my book, I devote, I think, two different chapters to um to the idea of of god and spirituality in the show um it just it's just pervasive uh, david shore has um two of his brothers he's got two twin he's got twin brothers who are both orthodox rabbis ironically shore is not orthodox uh isn't an orthodox jew but his brothers are orthodox rabbis and i just i always thought that was kind of amusing um and and it's actually his connection to his brothers is reflected in the great episode um, "Don't Ever Change," which deals with uh, the Hasidic couple and actually deals with um, Taub's religious feelings. His religion. and I know you always felt that it was very well presented. I'm sorry. I said I know you always felt that they were very well presented. Yeah, yeah, it was extremely well presented. Um, it was a lot of truth to the portrayal of the couple and to um, the way that not only was it portrayed, but the um, the beliefs that were explained were explained really well. And they didn't, um, they didn't, it weren't, I wasn't patronizing to the religious couple, which I know another thing that house does really, really well is not being patronizing to Funny because they actually insulted everybody but patronized no one. Absolutely, yeah, and and that just was such a hallmark of the show. I think that was one of the things that really made it great. So, um, boy, there's a lot of religion on TV these days, huh? There is. I think there really are a lot of shows where they are exploring faith and, and, and looking for answers. Yeah, and there are shows that do it rapidly, too. I, I mean, I'll never forget. I was never a big Seinfeld fan. Um, but there was a horrible, horrible episode where there was a bris on Seinfeld. It's a famous, notorious, legendary episode, and it was the most hmm, insulting episode. <laughs> they would not have handled it the same way on House, let me just tell you that. But this has been fun. This has been fun. And I think this is kind of a good time of the year for it, whether you're Jewish and have just finished celebrating Hanukkah, or who are Christian and are going to be celebrating Christmas next week, and Merry Christmas to you, Jerry, by the way. Thank you very much. Or you are pagan and uh, about to celebrate winter solstice on the 21st, unless the Mayans get to us. There's always that. We may not be here next week. What, what, what would this, what would I'm glad we had this discussion tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would your supernatural brothers say about the Mayan? Have they talked about that at all on the show? Um, I don't think they've done the doomsday. They've had Mayan gods on. Yeah. But haven't done the doomsday. But no, nothing in the doomsday thing, huh? Well, I think their big thing with the apocalypse was the big doomsday um, art. So they've gone into different kinds. Of, they're actually right now, I think they're um, doing a little bit more about what makes a monster. You know, what defines monster? What defines evil? Okay. 
Yeah, I think we'll be here next week. In fact, I was going to get printed T-shirts for friends saying, I survived 2012. <laughs> we were going to have a, some friends friends of ours uh, always have a winter solstice party. And I said, we'll make sure that it's on the 21st so that we could all through it and just say, ha, huh, we got December 20th. Um, so, you know, yeah, <laughs> that's a little hokey, but people are really taking it seriously um, all over the world. And uh, I just don't think it's going to happen. I think it's my hard, cynical science brain that says, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Well, I think we've had a few other doomsday prophecies, and they come and they go, and then they just reset them. Yeah, that is true. So I want to thank you. I want to give one more plug to my sponsor, uh, Wireless One Marketing Group, who is always here to help, whether you need a mobile app or a mobile website for your small business, for your not-for-profit, if you're an author like me. And I have to tell you, my Let's Talk TV app is great. People are really liking it, and it's free, and you can get it on iTunes. And you can listen to the show, follow my blog, follow my work on uh, Blog Critics as well. It, it, it's direct, a direct connection to that and videos and gallery of photos and all kinds of other stuff. So please do call Wireless One Marketing Group at 847-637-2514 for a free demo today. Or visit them at their website, www.app2020.com. And let them show you um, how easy and how inexpensive it is to have an app of your very, very own. Um, next week is, uh, next Monday is Christmas Eve, so we will not be on the air. We will be on the air instead, day after Christmas, on the 26th of December, with the lovely Joe Malozzi, who um, keep, he said, make sure that I keep sending him lots of reminders. He said, quote, unquote, his mind is like a sieve. So um, I, I emailed him. I said, okay, and you told me to remind you. So I sent you an email to remind you. He says, great, just keep them coming. <laughs> so <laughs> he, he knows himself. So I suspect we're also going to talk about aged dogs because I know he has a, a an aged, a not well dog, and I have an aged, not well dog. So um, I'm sure we'll we'll talk puppies too a little bit. Um, but Joe Malozzi will be on next Monday night, uh, sorry, next Wednesday night, the 26th, and also on January 3rd, um, in case, unless the Mayans get us first, um, and uh, then into January, and we'll go back to um, anticipating the return of Once Upon a Time, Elementary, the last few episodes of Last Resort, which I am really sad is going off the air. Um, hopefully, it would it'd be lovely if that show got picked up by a cable station. Um, it just have you ever seen Last Resort, Jerry? No, I haven't. It's a really excellent, slightly futuristic um, cautionary tale, and I think because of that, it did not. And it's it's got some oh, political tones to it as well. So. I think that's why it didn't do so well. I think it would be better off, would have been better off from the get-go on like AMC or Stars or even HBO or even FX um, or TNT, any anything but on a, a network, even ABC um, or maybe especially ABC. Um, and it just never was given a chance. And so it's sad to see it go um, with the wonderful Andre Brower in the lead. Um, and Jessie Schramm, who I've interviewed, uh, she's been on the show, um, who plays Cinderella on Once Upon a Time. And uh, unfortunately, it's going off the air. So we'll talk a little bit about that and uh, maybe get some of those Save Last Resort people back on the show with us again as they were on a couple weeks ago. And with that, I am going to say goodbye to my good friend, Jerry. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me again. It was a great conversation. Thank you, thank you. It was. I had a good time, and you'll come on next month, right? We'll, we'll be back. I will. And maybe to talk about uh, House during our House Rewatch. Um, so anyway, thank you very much for tuning in, and thank you for listening. We are hopefully by next episode going to be up at 11,000. Uh, 
uh, listeners. So keep it rolling, guys, and tell your friends about it. Until next time, this is Barbara Barnett saying goodbye for now. Jerry, we are...